This episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Sign up for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first book just for trying out their service. Some of the available titles include The Emperor's Tomb by Steve Berry, Rot and Ruin by Jonathan Mulberry, and The Bounty Hunters by Elmore Leonard. So after you finish listening to BITD, why don't you go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash betterinthedark and get your free audiobook today. Come inside. Ignore the strange stickiness of the carpet beneath your feet. Find the right seat, the one without the missing arm and the exposed springs. Pull the candy bar out of your inside coat pocket. Look at the color swirls the canned music plays. Wait for the lights to go down. Listen for the telltale clacking of film being pulled through the gate. Relax. Watch. Because we all feel better, better in the dark. Dark. Two lights, two lights, two lights. H-Y. Modesty, modesty, we all love modesty. A badass woman who will break you down properly. Honestly, criminal past, ain't no hiding it. Network ties, lead a status, yeah, she rocking it. Ever since Willie Garvin came into her life, he's a right-hand man, but no sir, not his wife. Keep it tight, platonic, that's the way they do biz. And when they retire, the adventure begins. Secret service comes calling and they back on the scene. Never know when you'll spot this dynamic team. Modesty with the Congo and Willie with the knives. They try to play it down, but they will take lives. Let me be real with you, I'm behind. Time indeed do the show, I'm the music mastermind. Modesty Blaze coming at you, 96. I'ma keep a low pro, watch out for nameless chicks. Two lights, two lights, two lights. H-Y. Yeah, we're now in personal stripes together, have we? Funny how we always survive, isn't it? Survived each other? Wow, we shared the fights. But never shared the knives. But we should have. We could have. to both you and I know from uh, the excellent, excellent novels written by Peter McDonald. And this is a character that you know how deep and abiding my love of this character is. Oh, mine too. I've loved this character for a long time, and apparently this is a character that Chris Claremont loves. really loves. Really loves, because he's poached her origin for not one yeah. but two characters. He's Let's not forget Jerry Conway. Really loved this yeah, character. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jerry, I respect you as a writer, but I call bullshit on that. Oh, I never read a Modesty Blaze book in my life when I took over Black Widow. Yeah, yeah. If you're a reader of this type of fiction, the fiction that you and I both right. read and write, and that Jerry Conway reads and write, you've heard of Modesty Blaze. Oh, David Michelini loved this character so much, and he's very upfront about this. I wanted to do a Modesty Blaze book. DC didn't have the rights to Modesty Blaze, so I created my own Modesty Blaze. Bingo. Cinder and Ash. Cinder and Ash. We are, of course, talking about, if you haven't guessed yet, Modesty Modesty Blaze. This is the third in our not-really-priority series, Rivals of Bond. Right, which is is a follow-up to our, of course, now classic, and I say that with all due pride. uh, Guilt Edge Bond. Guilt Edge Bond series, where we analyze Bond from soup to nuts, from Dr. No to Casino Royale. And Quantum Abort. I mean, it's us. Well, see, I have that blocked out of my memory, which is why I... That's going to come up in a few minutes, because before we get to Monster, we're going to do some listener mail. And before we do listener mail, it's time to remind everybody that this episode of Better in the Dark is brought to you by Audible.com. 
which invites you to try out its service for a free 14-day trial, including a free download of your first audiobook. They have over 85,000 titles to choose from, although, oddly enough, none of them related to Modesty Blaze. <laughs> Most of these are available for free. Some of these are available for $7.50. And there's something for everybody's tastes. I have picked out... Three books, like I usually do, as suggestions. Once Upon a Spy by Keith Thompson. Spy, an Alex Hawk thriller by Ted Bell, narrated by John I Am the Best Luther Ever, Suck It, Gene Hackman, Shay. And Spycraft, a secret, the secret hit, and Spycraft. <laughs> See, that's what you get for the crack about Gene Hackman. You hump ya. Once again, karma bites Tom DJ in the ass. And Spycraft, the secret history of the CIA. Thank spy you, text. Karma. Who's Carmen? Karma. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can I get to this last one? Spycraft, the secret history of the CIA spy tech from communism to Al Qaeda by Robert Wallace, H. Keith Melton, and Robert Schlesinger. All of these are available and so much more on Audible. Dot com and you just go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash better in the dark to check it out. When you click through on that URL link, you give us a little love back for all the joy we've given you for five years. Because Christmas is coming and Papa needs a new pair of everything. Audible.com. Why don't you have any modesty plays on your site? So we have some listener mail. We'll so we're going to do the listener mail first. Yes, we are. Let's go ahead and do the listener first mail. First up is a good friend of both of ours. Let's do listener mail. Let's listen to the mail from our listeners. Let's do <laughs> listener mail. Let's listen to the mail from our listeners. <laughs> You're going to be like this. I can't finish the show. The first one is from, of course, a good friend of both of ours, the face of Pulp Works Press, Mr. Russ Anderson. And let us congratulate Russ, because I believe today is the one-year birth of his daughter, Jasmine. Oh, happy birthday, happy birthday, Jasmine! And Jasmine does not even know that we're missing her happy birthday, but... That's okay. Hopefully, when she gets old enough to understand, Russ will play this back to her. So she says, see, you had friends who were wishing you had a birthday. Absolutely. So, happy birthday, Jasmine. Russ writes, I'm also slowly getting caught up on BITD. I just finished listening to the Justice League episode. I've covered a lot of Better in the Dark ground in the last couple of weeks, so I'm not going to go into too much detail with what I thought of these episodes. There are, however, a couple of quick points I want to make. One. I have never seen any of the Shaft movies. In fact, I had never even heard of Shaft until about 1996. This fact makes me feel a bit like Steve Carell in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Two, the reason Freddy was never as scary as he was in the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie is partially because he started cracking jokes. You're right about that. But I always felt that it had more to do with the fact that they actually lit his face in the later movies. If you watch that first mm. Elm Street film, you never get a good look at Freddy's face. And that shit made him scarier than the knife gloves did. I did remember watching Nightmare 2 in the theaters as a 10-year-old. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And even then being disappointed with how much of Freddy I could see. Three. We will never agree on quantum of boredom. I mean, solace. Nah, I guess we just have to agree to disagree on that one, Russ. Four, I would love to see a Justice League film done in the style of the Beowulf movies from a few years back. Motion capture against a bunch of CGI background. Strangely enough, though, I wouldn't be satisfied with that for an Avengers movie. Five, I really wish I'd been caught up enough to ask, nay beg, that I'd be allowed to come on and co-host the Doctor Who episode. Quite frankly, I wish you had to, because then I wouldn't have to have to deal with the Surrender Monkey Shack. I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about the later days of David Tennant and the commencement of Matt Smith. Keep up the good work, guys. Russ. Well, thank you, Russ. And we really should have Russ on as a guest host one of these days. You know, he's yes. been such a long-time supporter of us and a close personal friend. I've been to his house a couple of times, spent the night at his house and hung out with him and his lovely wife. Yeah, we really ought to make plans to get him. Maybe after we come back from vacation. There was at one time we were actually trying to get that him down here. was one of the reasons why the last episode of Guilt Edge Bonds took so long. Right, Because yeah. we kept holding it off because we were trying to arrange for Russ to come here and do it live. With right, him. to actually come down here and do it live. Maybe we can work something out. We'll see. But in any case, yeah, and quantum of boredom, I mean solace. Yeah, that's something we're just going to have to disagree on, Russ. I'm yeah. sorry. Next? Next is from Patrick Moore. Okay. More what? But More Patrick. <laughs> and Patrick says, Hey, BITD dudes, I've been listening and love the Justice League and Star Trek episodes. 
my cousin is a big Star Trek fan, and I plan to send a copy of both Star Trek episodes to him by email. You guys should remember me that I wrote an email about my writings at JLU 2001 many months ago. I still love the Marvel the Movie series and would like for you guys to take on the other superhero films like The Incredibles and You Already Did Kick-Ass. Speaking of animation, have any of you seen any other animated films than Mr. Fox? I do like Pixar and all, but I miss the 2D animated films. Hollywood needs to go back to its animated roots than doing all this turning cartoons to live-action crap. Now to the fanfiction side of my letter. Derek, I know you love Pulp Heroes, and I'm here to tell you that I'm working on a Shadow Green Hornet crossover project. The story will be similar to the 60s Batman Green Hornet crossover, but with a retired Lamont Cranston asking the Green Hornet's help to stop a killer using the Shadow's name and likeness to kill innocent people. I'm a big fan of old radio dramas, and this was an idea to bring two heroes from different eras to do the team-up. I never read DC's so-called Doc Savage series, and they need to cancel this first-wave project, like you said. And don't get me started on the second Spirit movie from last year. I find the original TV movie instead, with Nana Visitor. As a fan-fiction writer, I love my characters, but I don't love my characters, like a certain comic book writer that who shall never be named on your show. <coughs> Voldemort! <coughs> Just kidding. I wish you guys luck on your 100th show. Patrick. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. And when that fan fiction is finished, Patrick, please send us a link and we'll post it on the message board and also distribute it amongst our friends who are pulp people. Absolutely. Going back to Russ's yeah. message just for one minute. Don't worry, Patrick, I'm going to get to some of the things you said, but I wanted to mention. I think he's absolutely right about doing the Justice League movie mm-hmm. as a combination of motion capture and CGI. Mm-hmm. I actually think that it's really the only way you could do it and do justice to it, because if you had to do it in live action, I really don't think it would work for some reason. But he's right about the Avengers. I would want to see the Avengers in live action, yeah. but Justice League movie. Have you ever seen that movie he talks about, Beowulf? No. It's kind of weird watching it, because it's cartoons, but it's not cartoons, and it's not live, but it's kind of not live either. When I saw the trailer way back when in theaters, it just turned me off, because there was something really creepy about mm-hmm. the way the characters move and the deadness in their eyes. That I said, they have dolls know, eyes. Yeah, I said, I really, really, really don't want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And I just never picked it up. It's an interesting experiment. Let mm-hmm. me put it that way. I don't know how big motion capture. I know Robert Zemeckis. He, this is his thing that he's really pushing everything. I've seen the Polar Express, which I kind of liked. I did dislike it. I, I don't think it's going to be the instant holiday classic that they wanted to be. Not like I'll say. A Christmas story. But I think for certain superhero movies, motion capture CGI is probably the way to go. Mm -hmm. Like something like an Adam Strange movie. Right. I think I'd like to see that motion capture CGI. Well, I don't know. Silver Surfer. I'd like to see that. You know how we touched upon in one of the other episodes we recorded today? The film that Edgar Wright is doing for the Irredeemable Ant-Man. I don't know if it's still so, but originally he was developing it as a CGI film. Because he figured it would just be better to do it as an all-CGI 3D animated yeah. picture. Yeah. Because you can deal with really weird landscapes and such right. very mm-hmm. easily. And Edgar Wright is one of these guys, I, believe it or not, I only just saw Shaun of the Dead the other day. And I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, although it was one of these things where it's like I enjoyed it. If I watch it again three months later, I'm going to enjoy it as much. Well, you're ahead of me because, believe it or not, I still have not seen Shaun of the Dead. I've seen Hot Fuzz. Mm-hmm. I didn't love it like a lot of people did. I, people went nuts over yeah. it. I thought it was a cute, amusing movie, mm-hmm. and I chuckled. I didn't think it was a gut-busting laugh as like a lot of people seem to think it was. But no, to this date, no, folks, I'm sorry. I've never seen Shaun of the Dead, though I hear it's very good. It is very good. Okay. It does manage to be very respectful of the zombie genre while mm-hmm. also being very irreverent towards it. And I like the fact, particularly, that it supposedly takes place parallel to The Night of the Living Dead. And it tells the story. It's very knowing and keeps playing around with them. There's occasional references to, oh yeah, I hear it's supposed to be something about some satellite that fell down. Mm, okay, yeah. And Which in fact, is, yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Probably my favorite line is at one point after the fact, when they're doing the coda, there's like a clip from a television newsreader celebrating Z-Day, and they mention... The theory that it was caused by the bite of an experimental monkey has been ruled out. <laughs> what is it with zombies now? Zombies mm-hmm. is replaced vampires. Yeah. Because we've got The Walking Dead mm-hmm. on TV, and we've got zombie video games at the Wazoo, and zombie movies. And what is I see, I'm not a big zombie guy. And people, totally honest. And people are talking about the zombie apocalypse. And yeah. <laughs> I never really found zombies very... There was a period when I was in high school, I mm-hmm. became obsessed with them. 
Mm-hmm. But other than that, I've never really found them very interesting. I don't know. I just don't understand why so many people are so incredibly fascinated by them. But then again, I don't understand why so many people are incredibly fascinated wanting to have a vampire for a boyfriend. Mm, well, this is true. Okay, so that's the listener mail? That's the listener mail for this time being. Okay. So, we thank you again, Russ and Patrick. Before we get into the modesty plays, we should probably talk a little bit about Peter O'Donnell. Absolutely. passed away this year, sadly, and pretty much closed the door on there ever being another modesty plays film again. Right. Because it's in his will. Yeah, yeah. It is in his will that there's only one person he will allow to touch this property. And I don't think Quentin Tarantino is ready to do it just yet. Okay. Peter O'Donnell was born on April 11th, 1920, was a journalist. His most famous creation came about because the Daily Express needed a comic strip. Needed a comic strip, yeah. That's how Modesty Blaze started out, as a daily comic strip. O'Donnell had already done the script for the newspaper's adaptations of some of the James Bond novels, and they came to him and said, well, we have space, Mm -hmm. we need to fill. What can you do? And he created Modesty Blaze. And... Part of what he created Modesty Blaze for was as a reaction to James Bond. Mm-hmm. Whereas James Bond was doing this out of obligation to country, Modesty was doing it because she liked her friends. Right. And she liked her life. Mm-hmm. And she got bored. And this was something she did. Right. Because it should be mentioned that the Modesty Blaze character started out as a super criminal, actually. She yeah. ran a criminal organization called The Network that spread all over Europe. She ran it for many years. And then... She spent a good amount of time turning the organization to legitimate businesses, and once that was done, she retired. She was still a young woman. Her and her sidekick slash best friend, Willie Garvin. Mm -hmm. But what happened was that they found retirement very boring. So one of their good friends is Sir William Tarrant. He works for the Secret Service. And from time to time, he'll come by their house, and he'll mention something about a baffling case, and they'll get involved. One of their friends will come up and something will happen. This is their way of keeping their hand in, as they like to say. And this was the unique thing, was that she was a spy by choice, not by obligation, not by trace. She actually wasn't a spy. As a matter of fact, and you guys probably get tired of hearing me that, Modesty Blaze is very much in the tradition of 30 and 40s pulp characters. Yeah. In that some well, of Well, she's a soldier of fortune. She takes on these really bizarre super criminals. Yeah. There's, a, in one book, I don't even remember the name of it. I should have did my homework on this, folks. There's a villain, and it's a pair of villains, actually, and they're twins. They're joined at the shoulder. Yeah. They actually have something joined at the shoulder, so they have to coordinate their movements. Modesty has this fight scene where she actually has to fight them, but she always has these great fight scenes at the end of every novel where it looks like there's absolutely no way she can win yeah. against the bad guy, and she pulls it and out. And she was one of these people who fought not just with her fists. Her signature weapon were what they called the con- which were these African dumbbells that she actually used to put up her hair. Yeah. So she was always with them. So she always had a weapon. But uh, perhaps her most famous weapon was what she used to call the stunner. Mm-hmm. When she would drop her top. Yeah. <laughs> and was so stunned at the beauty of this half-naked woman mm-hmm. that she was able to beat the crap out of her. Or frequently, Modesty would take a hit yeah. in order to kill There was one book I remember, she actually lets the bad guy stab her and twist her body so that it doesn't hit her kidneys. She actually takes it, but she's able to break the guy's neck. All told, O'Donnell wrote 11 novels. Most of them were actually adapted from the comic daily strip, yes. yeah, comic strip. It took a certain amount of time for a storyline to be finished, yeah. and then he started a new one. And when they started being published as novels, some of them were original, but most of them, yeah. yes, that's how they started. Although, he never intended on being a spy novelist. The reason he decided to bring modesty to the books is tied in with our first stop on this journey. Oh, and what's that, Thomas? 1965. He was contracted by Joseph Losey to write a script for a Modesty Blaze motion picture. Because at this time, of course, we are into the big spy craze boom of the 1960s. We have James Bond. We have the Avengers. We have Matt Helm. We have our man Flint. Wherever you look, the man from UNCLE. There's spies as far as I can see. Peter O'Donnell gets to work and puts together a script for a Modesty Blaze film. He then returns it to the producers... Mm-hmm. And to Mr. Losi, who then proceeds to cast Monica Vitti, at the time a very famous Italian actress and sex symbol, yeah. has modesty. Terrence Stamp has Willie Garvin, mm-hmm. her best friend and former enforcer mm-hmm. in the network, and has Sir Gerald Tarrant, Harry Andrews, mm-hmm. and most importantly has the villain, Gabriel Dirk Borgard. And a couple of months later, he's invited to the 
premiere of the movie. Yay! Excitement. He goes to the movie, and according to interviews that he had given, he recognized exactly one line of wow. his dialogue, and was not happy. So rather than bitch and moan and complain, mm-hmm. he took his script and turned it into the first Modesty Blaze novel, okay. entitled simply Modesty, Modesty Blaze. Blaze. right. And that started him, like, 11 novels in total, two short story collections. Well, it was very successful. But I think it was successful because he created a character that wasn't the spirit of James Bond, uh-huh. but wasn't a James right. Bond clone. Modesty was very much her own woman. For that time, back in the 60s, if you thought Emma Peel was liberated, yeah. well, Modesty Blaze was even mm-hmm. more liberated than that. Her origin was that she was an orphan right. in Africa, and she was raised by an old man who was a thief who taught her many of the skills that would come in handy later on in life. When she got older, she was indoctrinated into this criminal organization. She started working for them, worked her way up through the ranks until she became the boss. She found Willie Garvin. He was a prisoner in a Moroccan jail, and she took him and she trained him and educated him. Mm-hmm. She sent him to college, taught him how to be a gentleman and as a result he worshipped her he was her sidekick her best friend her bodyguard and they had one of the most interesting relationships in all of fiction because O'Donnell unlike a lot of people showed us that a man and woman can work together and never have a sexual relationship people was uh, well that doesn't make any sense and even in one of the books, Monster and Willie tell somebody, because somebody asked them, how come y'all yeah. just never not boots? They respect each other too yeah. much to do that. Even though they do love each other, they don't love each other in that way. Even though I do think there is one novel where they do have sex. As part of a ruse, yes. And it, as part of the right, yeah. yeah. In order to fool somebody, yeah. This movie. This movie almost broke me. And that's saying something, folks. This movie, it was almost impossible for me to get through, except by looking at it in smaller chunks. I saw this movie years ago when I was a kid. It came on like a Saturday night on Channel 7, and I really didn't understand it. Oh, it's totally nonsensical. That's one of the reasons why it hurt my head so much. Mm -hmm. It is a totally nonsensical film. By the time that Modesty Blaze gets made, psychedelic cinema is in full force. Mm -hmm. So uh, not only do you get this story... There's a tongue-in-cheek, campy element Mm -hmm. to the way the movie is put together. There's this bizarre set design aesthetic going on. There's just a lot of just strangeness for the sake of being strange. Now, remember, there's actually only one scene where Monica Vitti, she has, because Monsi Blaze has dark hair, and she's a blonde. Mm -hmm. I think there's only one scene where she puts on a black wig, and she's got her hair done. In the black, yeah. Oh, well, no, because it's the one where she infiltrates the apartment of the person who is her romantic interest. And he, for no readily apparent reason, has a life-size portrait drawn by Hardaway, who mm-hmm. was the artist for the first couple of years of the Modesty Blaze comic strip, of Modesty Blaze in her trademark black cat suit, mm-hmm. and she comes out from behind it dressed exactly, exactly like that. Exactly like that, yeah. And he's like, I preferred you better as a blonde. She goes, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Literally snaps her fingers and changes back to Monica Vitti. One of the biggest problems with, with me about this film is Monica Vitti herself. Horribly miscast. I'm sure she's somebody's idea of attractive, but she comes off like a drag queen trying to pretend to be, <laughs> Mon- be Modesty Blaze. She's way out of her depth, and mm-hmm. you cannot understand 90% of what's coming out of her mouth. Oh, that is her actual voice? Yes. Oh, okay. You cannot understand what she's saying half mm-hmm. the time. She's overly made up. The big, yeah, big, yeah. big red lips. Yeah. It's just horrible. To, the way this movie is structured, where you have things like in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a chase scene, they pull over and have a musical number. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is a movie that actually, you have to wonder, well, did anybody actually read the script O'Donnell wrote, or did they actually even read the comic strip to know the tone that they should take with this? It's so freaking, poor Terrence Stamp, somebody that we have touched upon once or twice, Mm -hmm. somebody I really, really respect as an actor. What the hell is he doing in this movie? He's a good actor, and I love Terrence Stamp, but he, as well as Monica Vitti, was miscast. Yeah. He's just not, when I think of Willie Garvin, I don't see Terrence Stamp. Because Willie Garvin's supposed to be this enormous, 
towering person. Yeah, physically imposing. Yes. Well, Turnstamp is, can be physically imposing. Yeah, he can be, especially now. Especially if you ever seen that movie, the one that we've talked about the before. The Limey. Yeah, The Limey. Yeah, he can be imposing yeah. now. But back then, was very early in his career. And he simply couldn't pull it off. Yeah. It's filled with stuff that's just there. Like, for example, I think like a telling moment in this movie is towards the end, in the climax, where they're all fighting on top of Gabriel's castle. And they've just hung Mrs. Fothergill. It's funny, because in the novel, she's supposed to be this grotesque, hunched-over Scottish woman that Gabriel has married. In uh, the movie, she's this slim, model-bodied... She's a maid! Yeah. yeah. He took Rosa Clem and turned her into Raquel Welch. Yeah. So he's trying to make his escape, and at one point, he looks up to see if Montessi's following her, and takes off this wig his he's wig, been wearing. Yeah, yeah, okay. And you're like... Why? The, the whole point is about there's some sort of diamond, and there's a sheik, and I hated this movie. It's sad. I it's really sad. hated this movie. The sheik cracks me up. He's adopted modesty, but adopted modesty as his son. Yeah. And that's what he calls him throughout the movie. He calls him my son. And people say, why does he keep calling you? And she's like, oh, well, he adopted me as his son. Now, actually, I found that kind of cute and endearing that he considers her in spirit to be a man, to have the soul of a warrior. So that's why he called my son. Right. My son. <laughs> that's actually kind of cute. Is nothing in this movie I can point to as being a, a good point. It's a totally worthless movie. It is so long. Because it's so inept. It seems twice as long as what it actually is. Oh my gosh. Literally, it was so bad when I returned to it again to watch it for this thing. I literally could not endure more than ten minutes of it at a time because it's just so twee and so smug and so pleased so how smug. It is. Smug, that's the perfect word for this. It, it's so smug with itself. Yeah. And I watched it. It was this past summer. It came on as part of Turner Classic Movies, yeah. their wonderful underground yeah. series. I TiVo'd it. Because I knew what was going to happen, and yeah. I was right. I have to literally stand up to finish watching this movie, and I yeah. was down here, I was doing laundry. Because if I'm sitting down, I keep falling asleep. And what amazes me is that this was done in 1966, and there was somebody alive that would have been a perfect Modesty Blaze. Didn't know that. Raquel Welch. Raquel Welch, yeah. Who went on to do Fathom. Yeah. Own, which is much more in the spirit yeah. of Modesty Blaze than this movie. Who, because of her American Indian blood, had that exotic look for The same thing that I would say, because you and I have talked about this, that even though I can't stand her as an actress, I think Angelina Jolie, Angelina Jolie. would have made... In fact, there are some moments where I see her when she's got her hair up, it looks like she she stepped out of that comic strip. Yeah. And I have no idea why, especially since this was obviously meant to be an American picture. This was meant to be a picture marketed to Americans and Britons. Mm-hmm. Why they cast her. Yeah. I think Raquel Welsh would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As Blaze. Absolutely. He had the physicality for yeah. her. As we've seen in a bunch of her movies, she's not afraid to throw herself into yeah. a physical role. Hell, Martine Bestwick. Yeah. Of Hammer Films fame. Mm-hmm. And also from Thunderball. She was in the bond. And yeah. from Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. Would have been a great modesty. I agree. Once again, the look is so dead spot perfect. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether the fact that they kept her blonde was because she was so vain she didn't want to act under a wig. I think that's probably what it was. It's pretty apparent to me that she was sleeping with somebody yeah. in order to get this role. I've seen this movie maybe two and a half times. You look at it, and it just squirms around, and it's just there, and you wonder to yourself, why did this movie get made? And I can only imagine how disappointed Mr. O'Donnell must have been. Oh, well, this is something we're going to get back to as we go through the other two films. Okay. Disappointment. O'Donnell has been so discouraged throughout the years that he has it in his will that no one but Quentin Tarantino is allowed to purchase the rights Okay. To this character. It was not well received in the box office. It did not do well. And it pretty much made Modesty Blaze radioactive. Oh, yeah. We probably would not have seen another Modesty Blaze film for a long time. Well, we did get something else. This is something that we're going to have to stumble about in the dark for because neither of us have ever seen this. In fact, I didn't even know this existed until after the fact. <laughs> I didn't know it existed until you told me. You know how I found out it existed? Is this a TV pilot? This is the TV did? pilot. Okay. We're going to 1982, the Modesty Blaze TV pilot. I only knew it existed after the fact because it, this was during the period where I was reading Weekly Variety. They reviewed the pilot after the fact. This was a busted pilot mm-hmm. called Simply Modesty Blaze, which was produced by... Barney Rosenzweig, directed by Riza Baldigi, and written by Steven Zito. They cast Has Modesty, Anne Turkel. Oh, I like Anne Turkel. Once again, Anne Turkel mm-hmm. is an all-American girl. Big teeth, 
blonde hair mm-hmm. all over. Very much not who I think of when I think of Modesty Blaze. Exactly. She's Modesty. Lenny Van Bargen is Willie Garvin. Never heard of him. Keen Curtis plays Gerald Tarrant. Oh, okay, ball guy. Sab Shimona plays Wang. And Carolyn Seymour played the villainess. Okay. Who was called Debbie Defarge. Exactly. You know that there's a problem when your villain is named Debbie. Debbie. Oh, God. So you're going to take over the world today, Debbie? Who are you going to torture today, Debbie? I've seen bits and pieces of it. It supposedly is available in the gray market. It's set in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There's no explanation given, although they do apparently give the whole backstory about, oh, she was here in the Congo and here and here. and she, mm-hmm. But there's no explanation as to why all of a sudden they're relocating to America. Because it's cheaper to film there. Oh, of course. That's the real reason. The plot involves Modesty and Willie preventing the kidnapping of a young girl who turns out to be a computer genius. Who cares? Because the villain, Debbie, Debbie. wants her to program a supercomputer... So that she can fuck with the stock market. Debbie. You don't want to do that, <laughs> Debbie. Oh, God. How do you decide when your name is Debbie to become a supervillain? Yeah. Is it like you don't get into the right fraternity or something? Fudge. I'll show them. I'll rule the world. Oh, God. Because I'm Debbie DeFarge. That's right. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they did it as a 50-minute pilot. Obviously, they did not pick Obvi- up there. Obviously, since we didn't have a Modesty Blaze TV series. But the pilot was dumped. Because we've talked about this before. Back in the 70s and 80s, during the summer, instead of doing summer series, they had ABC Summer Playhouse. Yeah, yeah. Usually Wednesday nights, yeah. They would show busted these pilots. busted pilots. From all it reports. This is another insult to Peter O'Donnell. Mm-hmm. This was another slap in his face. And I think it was probably fortunate that this thing got buried so quickly. Although I gotta admit that maybe at one convention, if I come across it, I might still buy it because I'm still curious. Yeah, I might as well face it. You're curious to see it mm-hmm. anyway, if it's as bad as it. Sometimes you want to see something just to see if it's as yeah. bad as people say it is because you can't believe it's that bad. According to the write up here on Wikipedia, they do demonstrate Willie's knife-throwing skills, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming they don't obviously have topless Andrew Kell, but they do have some version of the stunner. Yeah, because that was Willie's whole thing. He was a knife man. He was mm-hmm. better with a knife than with a gun. Right. Frequently, he would give a gun to modesty and yeah. say, well, I don't need this. Yeah, I don't need this. Yeah, I'd rather have my knife. So that was Modesty Blaze, the pilot, and it once okay. again made Peter O'Donnell very, very, very angry. Very, very angry. I can imagine. He didn't like this, mm-hmm. and he sat on this. It's funny, because I don't think I've ever read of anybody planning on trying to do a Modesty Blaze big screen motion. Picture. I had heard it one time, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg was trying mm-hmm. to get the right, but this was back when Steven Spielberg was white hot, and he mm-hmm. was coming off of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and supposedly he was going to do The Shadow, and he was going to do Black Hawk, and he mm-hmm. was going to do Monster, he was going to do all of these Hulk-style characters, and of course... We know where that went to. Yes. Plus, none of it ever went anywhere, but mm-hmm. supposedly, I do remember hearing something about that. However, something did perk up Peter O'Donnell's attention around 1996, when he was told that there was this new movie called Pulp Fiction, where one of the characters is reading Sabretooth, the second Monster yeah. Plays novel. Mm-hmm. And this caused O'Donnell to meet with Quentin Tarantino, who is a big Peter O'Donnell fan. Right. You have Quentin Tarantino is around people who he really admires. Mm-hmm. He was total fanboy, I'm he sure. He turns into a total fanboy, yeah. Somehow, Peter said, I would give you the rights for this. I think you would have respect for this. Mm-hmm. I think for a while, Tarantino talked about doing it, but he just didn't have the time. Now, remember when there was all that rumors and me and you was really mm-hmm. got excited when they were talking yeah. about that for a while? It looked like Quentin Tarantino was going to do Casino Royale. And right. he said he wanted to do it in black and white in period. And we would say, yeah, he would probably do Modesty Blaze like that, too. Yeah. He would do it in period. Tarantino couldn't do it, but he said, my friend who turned me on to your work mm-hmm. is a good filmmaker. Can I get the rights and we'll do something... That'll be a direct-to-DVD movie that'll set up for a bigger movie if I ever get the chance to do it. I gotcha. O'Donnell said, yeah, sure. In fact, there is a DVD extra of O'Donnell being interviewed in the twilight of his life Mm. on this DVD. Really? I have to get that. What they came up with was 2004's My Name is Modesty, which was always intended to be a direct-to-DVD feature. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be done on a budget. The idea was it keeps... 
the brand name alive mm-hmm. without killing it. So it, that if Tarantino decided after finishing Grindhouse or after finishing Kill Bill that it was time for him to do his Monty Blaze film, he could do it. In essence, what we got here is another pilot, more or less. Yeah, a pilot. And it's weird because it's probably the least risen of the three things we're discussing. They chose, instead of doing High Like an Adventure, they chose to do literally an origin story. Oh, okay. That takes place before the backstory we know of mm-hmm. about the network. So it starts with British actress Alexandra Staden, who is also probably the closest we've ever gotten to one of the three films. A, that's a, that's not saying much, though, because <laughs> I think she's got a little bit of Eurasian blood in her, because she definitely has a slightly exotic look to her, but she's mm-hmm. way, way tall and way, way skinny, which to me is not what Modesty Blaze is supposed to be. Right. The story involves Modesty working at an illegal casino in Paris, run by what will become the network. Okay. It is attacked by a group of gunmen who are planning to rob this casino. Mm-hmm. And Arabian Night style, <laughs> mo- seriously, Modesty Blaze kind of distracts the leader by getting him involved in a card game. Mm. And they exchange stories, and she tells him the story of how she got to be here. For the, I think... For the first time on any screen, we see her as a child. We see her meeting the old man and Mm -hmm. learning from him and training under him and taking the name of Modesty from the the author. Because Modesty was Merlin's teacher, yeah, I believe. Yeah, and she liked the name and she took that as her own. And eventually she finds a way to outwit these guys. But during the course of it, the guy who ran the casino dies and Modesty takes over the casino, and the implication is this is the first step on her way to becoming the head of the network. The network, gotcha. It is very low budget. I think it was probably made for about a million or two million dollars. Wow. It's just one set throughout. you got episodes of Fringe that cost more yeah. than that. <laughs> it's interestingly shot, mm-hmm. but it never gets past the confinedness of, of that, that one set. set. I gotcha. I wouldn't call Alexandra Staten pretty, but I'm sure I could figure out there are a lot of guys who would consider her pretty. She's not that great an actress. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really have... Modesty is a very complex character, and I Mm -hmm. think you need an actress who's able to get into that complexity. Who's able to convey that complexity. Yeah, and I think that so far they've failed all three times. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the plan was that if Tarantino got to do his big screen modesty, if he was going to have her continue in the role. I think part of the reason why I'm somewhat dissatisfied with this film is that a lot of the tropes that I expect to see in Modesty aren't, whereas Willie, this is before he, she met Willie, so we never meet him, whereas Tarrant, all these other things, they just aren't there. But from what you're telling me, this is what I'm getting in yeah. this backstory with this. Quentin Tarantino eventually wanted to do a movie, mm-hmm. but he couldn't commit to the six, eight months to yeah. taking the film. So what we're talking about here is a placeholder. Yeah. He wanted to secure the film rights, so in order to do that, he's got to make a film. So, okay, let me make this direct-to-DVD yeah. thing, and it'll be a placeholder, just so I got my film rights secured. And then, you know, well, few, it, few literally down was. The time. it was yeah. something that they yeah. did so that Miramax could keep the rights yeah, right. to modesty. Yeah. Which is, of course, where they lie right now. Exactly. It's funny because one of the few reviews of this film is from Joe Layden of Variety, who points out that it often feels like the pilot for a, a TV series. Right. In fact, I will probably say that if this was a TV series pilot, I'd be a lot more confident about it. Although it still would be kind of wrong being young modesty, being, mm-hmm. I don't know, Cotswood. Mm-hmm. Close to Smallville. I don't know if I hate it. I don't know if I particularly like it either. Right. It's just there. It just is, yeah. And this is where it stands. Okay, so unless we get Quentin Tarantino, unless he loosens up his schedule real quick, right. and we know he makes, what, like one movie every five years? Yeah. <laughs> now, well, he, that's all him. He says he's just slow. Well, he's about due to make one yeah. now, because what? Uh, Glorious Bastards was last year. It was last year. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he, he should be about due. He's probably busy writing the screenplay right now. Right. But, yeah, until it's ready, or until the property comes up for renewal again, because mm-hmm. I figure that... 
and this is one of the things I think the reason why they did such this low budget thing is that if it comes up for renewal again and Quentin's not ready, they can pop out another one. And I have heard that Angelina Jolie, she does know the character. Mm-hmm. And she does like the character of Modesty Play. So I'm pretty sure that if they went to her, and of course, as we all know, she can do action. To me, that's dream casting right there. I mean, you couldn't get any better than that. Well, I mean, she's definitely got the physical look. Mm-hmm. It would be Willie then. Hmm. See, I'm one of these who says might be bad. And I think this is one of the reasons also why they went with this Alexander Stadium woman. Was because they wanted somebody who was relatively unknown. Yeah, somebody they could build it to a star. Bottom line, somebody wouldn't ask for a lot of money. Yeah. Because if you're going to get Angelina Jolie to play modesty, well, that's 20 mil, I mean, right? It's funny you know, because you That's look- 20 mil right there. You look through history, and there are, like, for example, back in the 80s, I would think Patricia Charbonneau would make a really good one okay. plays. We were dealing with the same the dark hair, the, the slightly exotic look, mm-hmm. although she's more Nordic than Yeah, but you need somebody East. with kind of exotic look. Modesty Blade doesn't look like the girl next door. She's, yeah. I'm sorry, but she just doesn't. But that's it. It's a very sad, even more so than the Matt Helm films, this is actually a sad kind of, at least there's one that we can maybe recommend. It's so sad because Modesty Blade is such a terrific character. She's so great. I urge you guys out there, if you have not read it, go to your used bookstores, go to Amazon.com. This isn't like, let's say, the Fu Manchu series, which we're going to get to once TMC gets around to showing them all, where the source material is not that coherent. Because if you ever read a Sack Romer novel, it's more along the lines of, well, they go here and this happens. Then they go here and this happens. Yeah, actually, I really didn't appreciate Sack Romer until I got older. You see the Fu Manchu movies when you're right. a kid with Christopher Lee, you say, oh, shit, I gotta read. So, yeah. I, so I'm going to the library and I'm getting, the, and I'm reading them and I'm reading them and I'm reading them. And I said, well, where's Fu Manchu? Because actually, he doesn't appear, I mean, when he does, yeah, you know shit's yeah. about to jump off. But you're reading it, you read it, you say, okay, well, I want to see Fu Manchu. I didn't really have an appreciation of him until later on. It's the same thing like I was saying at the top of this hour when we were talking about Modesty Blaze. When I was a kid and I saw the movie on Channel 7, okay, I didn't appreciate how bad the movie was and what a disservice right. it did to the character until I got the book. Yeah. And then I got the book, so I said, well, wait a minute, this is so much better. How come they didn't just do this for, of yeah. course, I didn't understand how movies worked back then because I was a kid. But I said, well, how come they just don't do this? You know, I don't know. And it's the thing that people ask me all the time. They said, well, Derek, how would you feel if they took one of your books and turned it into a movie? I said, I don't know. It depends on how much they pay me because I'm a whore. Well, you know, I think that Gregory McDonald, the mm-hmm. guy who created the Fletch novels, yeah. I think he has the best attitude. When people go, how could you support that movie, Flood? It ruins your character. He's like, no, it hasn't. My book's right up yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, the book's right there. The sad thing is that Peter O'Donnell took this so personally yeah, that yeah. there are, I think, opportunities which could have happened. But look at it this like, way. Could you imagine Wolfgang Peterson doing a Modesty Plays? Oh, sure. Even somebody like, I could see Michael Mann doing one. But let's look at it this way. Peter O'Donnell, he's not like other writers that even though they may have a signature character, they do other things. Yeah. He just did Modesty Blaze. Actually, weird little bit of factoid. What's that? When he wasn't writing Modesty Blaze novels, mm-hmm. he was writing historical romances under the pseudonym Madeline Trent. No shit. Nah, I'm serious. He probably made more money from that than he did did from the Modesty Blaze book. Yeah, but even Ian Fleming, he did other things, and you have other writers. They may have a signature character, but they do other things. Modesty Blaze was a success in novels, Mm -hmm. as a comic strip, in comic books, because they have been Modesty Blaze comic books. Oh, yeah, they're still making, Titan Publishing is still cranking them out to this day. Yeah, so you say to yourself, well, how come this character can be a success in every other medium, except for movies? Except for movies and TV. Yeah. Both ways. Yeah. And he got screwed both ways. Yeah, and and especially now, when people seem to love movies about women that kick ass, you would think, well, Modesty Blaze, okay, no-brainer. But then again, you know what would happen if they did Modesty Blaze now. What's that? Megan Fox. Oh, yeah. Poor child. Or Emma Stone or some other flavor of the month. Mm Mm-hmm would be playing Modesty. I think that's the thing, is that I think Modesty Blaze, is, at least here in America, has become such an obscure character. Yeah. That you and I know, because we love the books. Yeah. Over in England, it's a big deal. But here in America, it, you wouldn't probably get somebody like a John Favreau who loved this character so much that he's made an effort to put the casting correctly. Right. Just, I don't think it would happen unless, of course, Quentin. Yeah. You need you somebody, need somebody with that clout. So, yeah. who loves and respects this character enough with that to clout. do yeah. it right. To find the right person to be this character. To find the right story. Mm-hmm. 
I don't trust it to Michael Bay or uh, Brett Ratner. No, no, no. And yeah, you got to have the director and also you got to have the casting. I've only seen the movie, the Monica Beatty, and yeah, you look at her, no, that's not Modesty Blaze. There's just some people you look at that's not right for the part. So I would really want to see, even if they couldn't get Angelina Jolie, which I don't think that they probably, unless of course Quentin Tarantino was attached to it, then she would probably do it. Who else do you think? could do. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. It's funny, because I keep coming up with people who could probably have done it back in the old days. Yeah, day. back in the day, yeah. That's like, could thing. you imagine, instead of Monica Vitti, they cast Carolyn Monroe? Yeah. Yeah. Got the exotic look. Yeah. She's dark here. She's physical. Physical. Yeah. She's very physical. She's got those really dark, flashing eyes, which I think is part and parcel. Two things I want in a Modesty Blaze mm-hmm. is those dark, flashing eyes, mm-hmm. and... How should we put it? Generous lips. Pouty lips. Yeah. So at least she's got one of those. I don't know about the lips, but I think that she could have pulled it off. Yeah, I know. It's hard now to think of something. Yeah. I'm well, trying to as think much as I don't like her, your Catherine Zeta-Jones might have been a good choice as well. Yeah, Catherine Zeta, again, she has that exotic look. Or, what? I got it. What? I've got it. What? It's somebody who is installed in our Hottie Hall of Fame. Pam Grier? No. Somebody for now, for right now. Okay. Ooh. Moon blood good. You're a genius. That's why you're here. <laughs> I, I that's was wondering what, about that. That's why you're here. Moon blood good. Moon blood good. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, perfect body. Yeah. There we go. We got her. And speaking of which, very tangentially, have you seen the second season opener for Human Target? Not yet. I'm going to watch it tonight. We'll wait till after you see it. Okay. Because I've got some weird feelings about that. I deliberately didn't watch it the first night it came on yeah. because I had a couple other things that were going on. I want to be able to sit and watch it all at right. one time and not be distracted. And I know tonight I get you know, Okay, good. We will talk about it. And I'll talk, it. yeah. Let's get back to Modesty Blaze. Okay. To sum it up, as far as Modesty Blaze in movies, we can both agree, since we've both seen it, that does not Don't 19- watch don't- the 1966 movie. Don't go near it. If you see a copy of it, buy it, bury it in a ditch so other people won't get to see it. The only reason why I would suggest that anybody see it is if mm-hmm. you are doing a study of the psychedelic pop craze film and the spy yeah. craze, strip it from a historical point of view if you mm-hmm. want to see it. In movies like Austin Powers, right. it was heavily influenced by the look of Modesty Blade. And so if you want to see it purely as a culture... Well, you look at the Fembox in the first... Austin Powers. Mm. And that's pretty much kind of an ideal yeah. of what Monica Vitti was running around in. Yeah. If you just want to see this purely from a cultural slash historical aspect, fine. As entertainment, absolutely not. There is no entertainment value in this movie. No. None at all. It's, it's truly a grueling experience. Okay. Neither of us have seen the TV pilot. Uh, we can only go on here saying most people say it's pretty bad. And if anybody out there has actually seen it, and if you would like to come on and talk about it... Yes, please let us you know. You know, let us know, and we'll get you on, and you can Skype us on the show, and you can tell us your impressions of it. And as for the, My Name is Modesty, A Modesty Blaze Adventure, which is the full-length title of that film. I didn't hate it. I don't know, though. It's not what I would expect I'd want to show people mm-hmm. as their first Modesty Blaze artifact. Okay. Because it is so atypical. While it does give you the origin story, there's so many elements missing from it. So the bottom line is, is that for right now, stick with the books. Yes. Okay. Those we can recommend wholeheartedly. Oh, God, yes. Because O'Donnell yeah. kicks ass. Yeah, because I've read most of them. I, Lucifer is one of my particular mm-hmm. favorites. So there we go. There we go. We're probably going to take a very long break from the Rivals of Bond series because we're waiting to get a hold of some of the artifacts. Yeah, hopefully, because usually they do. When's Michael Caine's birthday? Because usually that's when they show the Harry Palmer movies. That's what I'm waiting on. I'm Time waiting. to go to Wonderbox. Yes, I'm waiting on that so that I can record that. And what I'll probably do is burn them to DVD right. and, and let you have them so you can watch it. Michael Caine, March 14th, 1933. Well, then we're talking about next year. Which actually isn't all that far away because as we're recording this, folks, yeah. we're a week away from Thanksgiving. Welcome to the official site of Sir Michael Caine. He looks good. In that picture. Michael okay. says, Catch me in person at one of my book signing events coming over the next couple of weeks. Click here for more information. I'm Michael Kane. And I endorse this message. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we're actually not that far away. Next week is Thanksgiving. Then after that, we've only got, what, four weeks until Christmas. The Harry Palmer, 
That's coming. All right, let's right, do Harry Palmer, do Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu, yeah. Dr. Goldfoot. And we're probably going to do like a little potpourri and talk about some, because I know I want to talk about Danger Diabolique. Oh, yeah, me too. You want to talk about the best that Psychedelic Cinema has to offer. Have you ever seen the Beastie Boys video for Body Moving? No. Where they took scenes from Diabolique and inserted themselves into it? No, I've never seen it. So, that. like, Ad-Rock is Diabolique. It's just insane. Look it up on YouTube. Uh, what is it called? Body Moving? Body Moving. Okay. So, I guess it's now time for administrative. Absolutely. We're sorry this has been a downer of an episode, folks. No, it hasn't been a... They need to know these things. Yes. And yes. we did say that we was going to do it. Not every episode is going to be us heartily endorsing stuff. We do this so you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> not everything is puppies and lemonade. Occasionally, unicorn will not come and shit fairies on our doorstep. I don't know where that came from. But anyway. But you will never forget the image. Yes, unfortunately. When you say that, I automatically think of that uh, robot chicken sketch Mm -hmm. with the nerd who uh, claims that the the unicorn comes to him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I made it from her special unicorn mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that you actually think that Monica Vitti was the right choice to play Modesty Blaze. Nincompoop. In which case... I think you are riding a unicorn that's shipping yeah, yeah, fairies. Yeah. There's a number of ways in which you can reach us. You can email us at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. You can join the Better in the Dark Facebook group by just going to Facebook and looking up Better in the Dark and joining us there. We frequently put up little previews of the shows, little supplementary material, that sort of thing. Uh, you can also become our friends on the Facebook, because we're both there under our own names, not under, like, cute, funny names. Nope. I want you to find me. That's right. Matter of fact, I defy you to find me. <laughs> I dare you to find me. <laughs> we both maintain live journals. Derek's is Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And Tom is Space Monkey Mafia. You can also purchase books with stuff by Derek and the one book with stuff by me at pulpworkspress.com. So until next time. Uh, Until next time. Where you hopefully will not have to hear an Italian actress mangle an English woman character's dialogue. While a very good actor who otherwise is out of his depth sings along with her. All I can say is, go see that movie. Actually, in this case, don't go see that movie. Don't, okay. <laughs> don't go see that, don't go see see that, that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. Have a good Thanksgiving. Modesty. Modesty. Modesty Blaze, the female answer to Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, and those others who burn cities to save civilization. Body moving. Body moving. Body moving. We be. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Scott and Chris of Two True Freaks, the Film Sack Crew, the Joffrey Street Gang, Eric Frome, and of course, the lovely members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark would like Moon Bloodgood to contact us immediately for an audition for the Modesty Blaze role. We'll start with your stunner. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.bitdsite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-hyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember, if your name is Debbie... You might want to take on a cool pseudonym if you want to rule the world. You always know she's got an instinct for it. Hello, princess. I need you here, really. She needs me here and all.